You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Today, we are continuing our series in the book of 1 Peter. And um, two weeks ago, we were in 1 Peter 1, we talked about uh, the temporary versus the eternal and how, how we find joy in the salvation that God has given us. In week two, we were in chapter two, and we talked about Jesus as the chief cornerstone of our lives, that he's who we build our lives upon, that you and I as followers of Jesus are royal and holy priests, that we have a new identity in Christ Jesus, and that, um, and that we come into submission to each other. We submit our hearts to Christ, but we're in submission one to another as well. And so we finished chapter two with this idea that we we submit to each other. And submission is a huge part of who we are as followers of Jesus. That if we can't submit to the people in our lives, then we probably will struggle with submission to Christ as well. And so submission is a huge part of who we are. So that's where we left off in chapter two. So we're gonna pick it up in chapter three, verse one. And so remember, we were talking about submission and, uh, and we move right into verse one. It says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Some of you are already like, oh, okay, let's go. Get your, get your stuff. We're leaving, kids. <laughs> then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So let me make this clear. Um, God has established uh, roles within homes, that there is a, a father and a mother. That is ideal, is what we see as the biblical standard. And he is not saying that wives are the servants to the husbands, that the husbands call all the shots and the wives are just happy to be on the, the road trip with them. Like, we're just happy to be here. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, um, in the, the pattern that God has set up, the husband is supposed to have a certain role and the wives should accept that role and submit to her husband. Remember, we're talking about submission. And so this is what he's saying, submit to the husband in this, in this setting. And then he says, even if some refuse to obey the good news. So even if he's not a godly man, you still submit yourself to him because the outcome could be this. Um, he says, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They're gonna be won over by observing your pure, pure and reverent lives. So as we live godly lifestyles before our spouse, so if you're a, a man here who's married to someone who maybe does not, love Christ like you do, what do we do? Well, we submit ourselves. We don't browbeat that person. We don't tell them how terrible they are. Well, you know you're going to hell. We don't do that. We submit ourselves. We humble ourselves. We serve them well. And we live out the life that God's called us to live. And what he's saying is you honor them as if they are honorable. See, sometimes I talk to people and they'll say, well, I don't need to honor my father and mother because they're not honorable people. Okay, I get that. But you honor the office of mother and father. Not because they are great people, but because you honor God and you honor that position. You, your husband might be somebody you would say, he's not very honorable. And I would say to you, ladies, honor him as if he is and let him live up to that standard. Let him rise to your expectations. Um, it's amazing. We've seen this happen in our church over and over where we've had situations like that, where God has moved in people's lives. And it's hard because this isn't easy to do when you're waiting on your spouse to hear from God. And you're hoping and you're praying and you wanna make something happen. But what Peter says to the church and what he says to the ladies is, okay, Honor your husband in spite of his shortcomings and live a godly life before him and let God do the work. I, I mentioned to you last week, and I'll repeat it this week, where submission is lacking, conflict is abundant. So if, if, if you have conflict in your life, you can trace it back most of the time to a place where submission is lacking. I've lacked submission in this area of my life with my um, spouse, with my boss, whatever it is, and inevitably it will lead to conflict. And if you want to minimize the conflict, you need to 
maximize submission in your life, maximize honor in your life. He goes on to say in verse three, and I'm sorry, ladies, we're not done yet. If you were unhappy, it just gets worse for a little bit. Just it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Verse three, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Uh, if ever there was a time that a culture needed to hear this message, it is today in our culture. Because we master what people see and we minimize what they don't see. Um, if you take a look at social media, the only social media I'm really on ever is Instagram. And it's only because I follow like all these different Jeep accounts and off-roading and all these kind of stuff. But once in a while, something will pop up and a friend or family member, um, it drives me crazy because um, there'll be a young lady and I'll pick on the guys in a minute, don't worry. There'll be a young lady who maybe will post some things on her Instagram and they'll have like 12 likes. And then she'll post a picture in a bikini at the beach and it'll get like 400 likes. And then all of a sudden you see it shift and that's what all the posts start looking like. Why? Because we get affirmation and we like affirmation. See, when we work on the outside, we get affirmation. It feels good when somebody goes, did you lose weight? Doesn't it? Like, no, I did not, but you can keep asking me that question. I'm fine with that, right? I've never gone wrong asking somebody that question. Have you lost a little weight? No, I haven't, but they, you just tell them. I'm like, well, thank you very much. No, it's just my pants are tighter, so it looks like they're smaller. But. <laughs> we like that. Oh, you cut your hair, I like it. Why, because we modify the outside and we get feedback. People will tell us, you look good. Well, thank you very much. But we don't get compliments on our heart, do we? I mean, very rarely. People aren't like, boy, you look like you've been praying more lately. <laughs> I have, I'm very spiritual. That's why I'm floating. I'm not even walking on the ground. <laughs> why? Because we don't notice that stuff. Boy, you really seem like you're more forgiving than you used to be. People don't see that stuff. They see the outside. So what do we do? We focus on the outside because that's where we get affirmation. And what Peter is telling us is don't focus on the outside, focus on the inside. And guys aren't any better. Guys still do some stupid stuff. Um, fellas, let me just help you. No matter how good you think you look, I've never seen a single guy who took a bathroom shirtless selfie that looked good. <laughs> Maybe physically you look fine, but you can't wipe away the disrespect that people have for you after that. <laughs> that is stuck, that is stained on for life. When you do this one, like in the bathroom mirror. <sighs> it's bad enough that you take it and then you post it to social media. Somebody will interview you someday and they will find that picture and you will not get hired because of that. Why do we do it? Because we like the affirmation. We like people to tell us, you look great. Keep it up, you're doing good. And what Peter says here, it kind of echoes what he says in chapter one where he's talking about the temporary versus the eternal. What we do is we focus on the temporary instead of the eternal. And the same is true here. We focus on the outward instead of the inward. And here's the thing, the outward is temporary. Did you know that? No matter how much work you have done, it is temporary. <laughs> the lift will only keep it lifted for so long because your body is in a never ending battle against gravity. There are places that are getting hair that should not be getting hair. There are things that are sagging that used to not sag. Why? Because the outward is temporary. And if the outward is temporary and the inside is eternal, why do we spend so much time on what is fading and what is fleeting instead of what matters and what is eternal? And it's because of what's seen and what's affirmed. Well, good job. Way to go. And Peter says, stop doing that. Stop living that way. 
He goes on to say, this is how holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Now here's, here's, here's the thing. Um, Sarah was not a slave to Abraham. Sarah, she submitted to him. He was a godly man and she knew I can submit to him. I can trust him. I can give him respect and honor because he is a godly man. I mean, he's perfect, but he's a godly man. So she could respect and honor him and be submitted to him. And she could call him master. Not that he was her master, but it was a sign of honor and respect. And and here's the thing, ladies, your husband's desire respect. One of the reasons some of your husbands have become workaholics is because at work they get respect. They're successful. They've built something. They've achieved something. And so people look at them and they give them honor and respect and then they come home and they receive no honor and no respect. Some of you want me to go back to preaching about looks, don't you? What your husband desperately needs is for you to say something like, I'm so proud of you. You work so hard. Thank you for what you do. Instead of browbeating him for working so hard. Because maybe he's looking for something beyond a paycheck. Maybe he's looking for some honor, some respect that he gets and is derived from the work, but he does not get at home. I would encourage you, broaden your perspective of this, ladies. So she honors him, she respects him, and she calls him master. Not because he was, she was slave to him, but because she honored him and respected him. Goes on to say... In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. It's the guy's turn now, ladies, don't worry. I told the team last night, I said, my hope is that I can offend everybody. So ladies, I've offended. Now it's the guy's turn. Here we go. So it says in the same way that wives should honor their husbands, it says, husbands, you must honor your wife. It says, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Man, there's a lot to cover here. It says, husbands, honor your wives. Honor your wives. And some of you husbands are like, I do, I do. At least twice a year, and if I remember, three times a year. It's like birthday, birthday. Anniversary, Valentine's. And I, I'm always good for two. I'm probably gonna forget one of those, but I'm always good for two. Like, good for you. You did exactly what you're supposed to do, right? Our culture expects you to show up on those three days. Um, and that's, that's fine, but, but my question is, what do you do on Tuesday? How do you honor your wife on just a normal, average, ordinary day? What does that look like in your life? How do you honor her? Um, I know years ago when my girls were little, um, I think guys have this like male fantasy of like coming home from work at the end of the day and they walk in and when you walk in, your wife is um, like, she's got her makeup and hair done and like, you know, she's just totally ready for whatever's going to happen next. And you walk in the door and she's like, hello, honey, dinner's ready. And after dinner, I wanna give you a massage and just talk about your day. And maybe after that, you can watch some wrestling or I don't know what you watch. Let's talk about your fantasy team together. I don't know. We expect that's what it's gonna be like. That's not what it's like. Did you know that? That's not real life. Because real life is, you've got small children, you walk in the door at the end of a long day, guys, and maybe your wife has worked a job outside the home and she's come home and the kids are insane. Um, They're nuts and they're eating things they shouldn't and they've got clothes on parts of their body they shouldn't have and just things are a mess. And you walk in and you're exhausted and you expect one thing and you walk in and it's like, oh, that's not what's happening now, right? And maybe you have said something stupid like I said just once or twice in my life. What did you do all day? Never, ever, 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 under any circumstances, at any point in your life, ever ask your wife that question. Because she will murder you. 
And then she will pray for you and you will raise from the dead and she will murder you again. (laughs) And so this isn't about your wife, this is about you. What do you do when your wife is like, here are the kids, it is your turn now because I'm worn out and exhausted. And you're like, but I'm worn out and exhausted. I sat at a desk all day. What do you do? How do you honor your wife? How do you respect her? How do you love her sacrificially in that moment? This is hard stuff. This isn't easy. It's not easy for wives to submit to their husbands. It's not easy for us to submit to godly authority in our lives. It's not easy for us to to submit to our wives, but this is what God has called us to do. This is the invitation we have. And it says, she may be weaker than you are, but she's an equal partner in God's gift of new life. Now, when we were younger, I used to call my wife the weaker vessel from time to time, because that's what it says in some translations of scripture. And she'd be like, babe, can you open this? And be like, of course I can. I know you can't because you're the weaker vessel. You know, I'd pop it open. (laughs) She'd roll her eyes. So here's the thing. Can, Can we just come to this understanding that men and women are fundamentally different? Can we just... I know we're not supposed to say that stuff in the world we live in today. We're gonna get in trouble. This is gonna be broadcast and they're gonna come after me for saying that men and women are different, but they are different. We are physically different. Emotionally, we are different. We value different things. It's clear. Um, And one of the ways we are different is that typically men are stronger than women. Typically, not always. I was a pretty good athlete in high school. I was a big guy in high school. And I could not beat my mom at arm wrestling till I was a junior in high school. She was strong. I mean, like, farm strong. That was my mama. She was tough. And I was so excited when I beat her, but I couldn't tell anybody about it. Because can you imagine me going to high school and being like, hey, guys, I beat my mom at arm wrestling. You're like, <laughs> you are 17. <laughs> you should have done that when you were 10. I'm like, I know, but she's very strong. My mom was strong. But typically, guys are stronger than women are. And God has made us that way. He has designed us that way. He's hardwired us that way. And the reason is because part of our role in the home is not to dominate, but to provide and protect. To offer a covering of protection for those in our home, our wife, our kids. That's part of what God has called us to do. Now, part of the reason why abuse abuse of a spouse or abuse of kids is so abhorrent to us is because it is, a, it is a breach in the fundamental design of how God wired us. Because God wired men to protect and provide. And we use our authority or our power or our influence for self-serving means and reasons and go, well, this is gonna be better for me, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna manipulate the situation. I'm gonna abuse someone in a situation That's why it is so ugly to us because it it breaks God's design. And a godly man, when he uses his strength for self-serving purposes, he not only dishonors the people in his family, his wife, but he also dishonors God. So he's made us with strength to use that strength for the benefit of the people around us. And then treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I don't want to throw away that line. Treat your wife as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I really do believe part of the reason some of you, your prayers are not being heard by God is because you mistreat your wife. Because you don't treat her with the honor that she deserves as a child of God because uh, you don't love her sacrificially, your prayers are hindered. There are things you pray for that God will not give you because he says, I can't trust you. I can't trust you with my daughter, so why should I trust you with this? (laughs) We've talked some about revival over the last few weeks. If you wanna see a revival in your home, start honoring your wife and loving her sacrificially and see what the spirit of God does in your family. You want your prayers answered? Start treating your wife the right way and see what happens. After that, some of the things I said earlier about wives don't feel so bad, does it? Some of the wives are like, okay, it balanced out now. We're good. Let me move on, verse eight. 
Finally, now he's talking to the whole church. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. You should be unified is what he's saying. We should have unity in the body. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessings. I said earlier, this is hard stuff. This isn't easy stuff. And this isn't even any any easier, is it? This is hard. Because I'll be honest with you, um, some of this stuff is more difficult than others for me. It says, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. That's difficult for me. Because I'm really good at insults. I mean, it's amazing how good I am at insults sometimes. And I have to repress that because my natural desire when I am insulted is to insult. And I got some zingers. And, and really, nothing feels better when somebody says something to you, something hurtful or hateful or whatever it is, and you've got something like locked and loaded, like, and you're ready to go. Oh, it feels good. It's like the planets are in alignment. Like there's this moment of clarity, like, oh, and you just blast them. Oh, it feels good, doesn't it? And then that wears off like in three seconds. You're like, ah, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Because the Holy Spirit's like, that is not me you're reflecting. That, That is not my heart. That is not what I would have said. That is not what I would have done. That's what you would have done. Because you are evil and wicked, right? So I have to get out of the way. So how do we do this? We can't just do it like, do better, work harder, try better, and you will do this stuff. That's not the deal. What is it? Well, we go, okay, Jesus, I can't do this. Because when I'm insulted, I want to insult somebody. It's hard for me to love my wife sacrificially, so Christ, I need your help. I can't do it on my own. It's hard for me to have brotherly affection for the people in our church sometimes, because sometimes there are some knuckleheads in our church. Sometimes I'm the knucklehead. It's hard. So how do we do it? Holy Spirit, come on. Holy Spirit, I need your help. Holy Spirit, I'm gonna die so that you can live because I can't do this on my own. This is what God's called you to do. He will grant you his blessing. That blessing isn't that we're gonna have a big house or a big car. The blessing is Christ. When, When I die and Christ comes alive in me, the blessing is Christ. The blessing isn't I'm gonna have more money in my checking account. I'm gonna be able to preach at the biggest churches. I'm gonna be healthy all the time. No, the blessing is Jesus. He's enough. It goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, for scriptures say, if you wanna enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Man, that's a great place to start. If I wanna have a happy life, this is just a good principle. I gotta be careful about what I say. I gotta keep my tongue from speaking evil and my lips from telling lies. It's a good place to start. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Search for peace and work to maintain it. He says, go look for peace. Look for it. And when you find it, work to maintain it. Did you know peace is work? See, and here's the thing. We can have a false peace. Some of you have false peace in your home because you go, well, there's no conflict in my home. It's like, no, there's no open conflict. But there's passive conflict. There's conflict in your heart. You just haven't talked about it. So you go, no, our house is fine. There's no conflict in our house. Everything's good because we never fight. No, but there's conflict in your heart. You would love to talk about it. And because you don't talk about it, there's unresolved conflict. There's no peace. So um, sometimes I get criticized because when there's like, like a sniff of something in our church, like a little bit of unhealthiness or gossip or like, I want to squash it. Like, let's get this out of the way. Let's talk about it. If somebody's mad, if somebody's upset, let's talk about it. And sometimes I'm viewed as like an instigator and that's not the case at all. But I just know that conflict's not a bad thing. Unresolved conflict is a bad thing. But let's have a conflict. Let's talk about it. Let's work through it so we can get peace. 
And, and that is hard. It's hard in your marriage to say, hey, can we talk about this? I've been feeling this way. I'm struggling with this. You've said this, so this is how I feel when you do this. Can we talk through this? Some of you, even me saying that, you're getting some anxiety in your seat, like, oh, because you don't want to have that conversation. And that's evidence that there's conflict, that there's no peace. And Peter says, search for peace, then work for it. And what I want to encourage you to do is do the hard work for peace in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your workplace, in your school, in the church. Do the hard work to maintain peace. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and, he, and his ears are open to their prayers. And the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He quotes Psalm 34 there. Verse 13, now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? And this is a rhetorical question because even if you do good, there will be many people who look to harm you. Even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Don't worry or be afraid of their threats. What he's saying is, do what's right even if you suffer for it. This has been the continuing theme. And remember, what we're talking about is being resilient in the face of persecution. So he says, do right and don't be afraid of the people around you, the consequences, what's gonna happen. Don't worry or be afraid of their threats. There's a, an alternative translation of this. It's probably a little more accurate. It says, don't fear what they fear. Don't worry and don't fear what they fear. Don't fear what they fear. That's interesting. And, and here's the thing. I'm taking a little bit of liberty here. But when I started thinking through this, I started thinking, what is it that the world fears? This is what it's talking about. He's talking about living differently, thinking differently. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, so we don't live like the world lives, but we live differently because we think differently. We think like God thinks. We don't think like the world thinks. So to think differently and to live differently We've got to be afraid of different things. So what is the world afraid of? And we could, have, we could make a list of hundreds of things that the world is afraid of. But, but the thing that immediately leapt to mind for me is the world's afraid of cancellation. They don't want to be canceled. So we, we're careful what we say or how we say it or we position things in a certain way or we don't say the whole truth. We'll say 90% of the truth because we don't wanna be offensive. We don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. And the truth is we don't wanna hurt anyone. I'm not out to hurt anyone. But what happens is it's easy for people in my position to start watering down the truth because we just don't wanna be offensive to anybody. We don't hurt anybody's feelings and we don't wanna get canceled. I don't want the, the woke mob coming after me. We've seen it over and over and over in our world that people get canceled and our world is afraid of that. But do you know what Peter says? He just says, don't be afraid of what the world's afraid of. We shouldn't be afraid of the things the world's afraid of. In fact, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 is he said, don't be afraid of those who wanna kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And so what we have to do is choose what or who we are afraid of. Who are we afraid of? Are we afraid of living godly lives in front of people because of the criticism we might receive? Or are we afraid of, of dishonoring God? Because here's the thing. I've said this to you guys before. If I can either make you guys happy or God happy, it is no contest. Because I'm not gonna stand before our board someday in heaven. I'm gonna stand before God. And so if there is conflict between those two things, I can only make one of them happy, it's gonna be God every day of the week. If you can only make one person happy, um, our culture or God, why would we pick our culture? Why? It's because it's a temporary response. It's not an eternal response. We're getting immediate feedback. And what Peter says is this is all wrong. This is broken. This is the wrong way to look at this. He says, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. What can this world do to us? If we are living the life that God's called us to live, if we are loving people well and honoring people well and treating our brothers and sisters in Christ well, if we are lifting up the name of Jesus, what do we have to worry about? First Peter 3.15 says, instead, so instead of living with fear, he says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. 
And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So he says, instead of living in fear and fearing what the world fears, he said, here's the alternative. The alternative is worship Christ as your Lord. And here's the implication that fear and worry cannot coexist for long. So if you have some fear in your life that you're dealing with, maybe you've got some fear of cancellation, maybe you've got some fear of loss, whatever it is, you've got fear in your life, here's the antidote. It's worship. Worship. Do you know why? Because fear, we focus on a specific thing. And worship gets our focus off of our fear. Worship focuses us on another thing, God. So as we focus in worship, we, we begin to remind ourselves the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the provision of God, all those things, and that is, it counteracts the fear in our lives. Now, they can't coexist for long. The opposite is true, too. I've seen worshipers who stopped worshiping because they were afraid. When we let fear get into our hearts and lives, it can counteract worship if we focus on that instead of worship. So what does Peter say? He says, stop being afraid of what the world is afraid of. Fear God instead of the world and choose to worship God well. And as you do, that fear will subside. And it says, if anybody asks about your hope as a believer, invite them to summit on Easter weekend. That's what it says right there. You didn't see that? Invite them to she is one night. Oh, it says you be ready to tell them why you have this hope. Be ready to tell them. And you don't have to give a three-point sermon. It does not have to be slick. You don't have to have um, it all written out. You don't have to say it perfectly. All you have to do is tell them your experience with God. I don't know, but here's what I know. Um, I was addicted Man, I was addicted and I experienced God and I'm not addicted anymore. Man, my marriage was a mess. It was broken and we gave God a shot and now our marriage is being made healthy and whole. My wife loves me again. I love my wife again. Man, I, here's what I know. This relationship was broken and I prayed and God restored this relationship and I don't know what happened, but this is what I experienced. That's all it has to be. Just be willing to tell people what God has done in your life. Always be ready to explain the hope you have. Verse 16, but do this in gentle, respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So he says, hey, be ready to explain the hope you have as a follower of Jesus Christ. But then he qualifies and says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. And this is part of the problem with the way many Christians approach conversations with our culture. Because we approach our culture with an immediate combative way where we feel like we're on the defensive, we're going on the offensive. And sometimes it's by what we post, Sometimes it's by our language and what we say, but what Peter says is, hey, make sure you approach non-believers in a way that is respectful. Make sure you approach unbelievers in a way that is gentle. And that is not reflected in some of the things that we post on social media and some of the things we say. We've gotta be careful because this is what Christ has called us to. He doesn't say water down the truth. He doesn't say lie to make people feel better. But he says, do it in a gentle and respectful way. So maybe we should start applying this and see if that would change things. He said in verse 17, remember, it's better to suffer for doing good than it is, um, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Verse 19, so he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, and God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. So these two verses are terribly difficult to, uh, to apply in our lives. So there are a number of different ways these verses are interpreted. So I just, I'm gonna take a, a couple minutes and just walk through this with you just so you can understand. Um, 
there's a, a point of view that says that after Jesus died and before he was resurrected, in that meantime, uh, that he descended into hell. And part of the support for that is this passage right here that said, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. That is part of the support for that. Um, a part of that as well is uh, just the tradition in the church of the Apostles' Creed. And some of you grew up in traditions where you recited the Apostles' Creed maybe every time you gathered together as believers. Um, and, and I'm not saying the Apostles' Creed is wrong. I just want to point this out. It says, uh, talking about Jesus in line four, it says, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. And so this is where, for many people, the, the doctrine that Jesus went to hell came from. Um, and so let me just walk through a couple of thoughts about this. Um, there is a line of thinking that says Jesus, because he carried the, the sin of the world, Jesus had to be punished because he was sinful. And, and so he had to go to hell. So let me make this clear. There's scriptural support that Jesus did not have to be punished for sin, that him bearing the weight of sin was sufficient enough, that he did not have to experience hell. So I will say right off the bat, I disagree with that line entirely. Uh, and there are not many people who believe that, but there is a line of thought that says that. Uh, there's another line of thought that said Jesus had to go to hell to uh, preach to those that were uh, in hell, both uh, who had been damned and then those who were, had died as saints before Christ. So um, those who were damned had individual sin uh, that they were responsible for, and then those who were saints had a corporate sin. So even though they died in relationship or knowing God or honoring God, there was still a corporate unforgiveness that they had because they died before Christ. And so uh, even with that, you can get into um, well, no, he did not come to preach to the damned because Scripture makes it clear it's appointed man wants to die than the judgment. Um, and so I, I can get on board. I could see the case to be made for Jesus went and took the, the people that were in Abraham's bosom to heaven at that point. Um, a case could be made for that. Uh, there's another case for the idea that uh, this isn't really talking about Jesus going to preach in the, the spirits in heaven, in prison, because it's talking about the spirit and the spirit that, that of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And, and so there's a line of thinking that says, no, 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 it's actually the Holy Spirit who inhabited Noah and he preached the gospel. So Jesus preached, his spirit preached the gospel to those who would end up in prison, in hell, even though they rejected Christ and, and rejected the, the message of salvation in this moment. So here's the thing. Um, there is not a ton of scriptural support for any of those teachings. And they are interesting, but a lot of the tradition we've seen in, um, in some other denominations is derived from man's teaching and what is commonly um, shared, and it's not based on what Scripture actually says. And so when we look at Scripture, and the question is, did Jesus go to hell and preach to sinners? Um, here's my answer. It's really profound. Are you ready? I don't know. Maybe. Um, I definitely don't think Jesus was punished for his sin, had to go to hell. I definitely don't believe that Jesus went to preach to those who had uh, rejected God, I don't believe that was the case because if that's the case, then there's now a case for universalism. Like, hey, we can be, we can be saved after we die. And I do not think that's the case. That's why this world counts. Because can you imagine a scenario where Jesus went to hell and he's like, hey guys, do you guys like it here? Because if not, I've got an option. And somebody would be like, no, nah, I'm good, pass. I mean, it's hot, but it's not that hot. No, absolutely not. It requires no faith. They don't need faith at that point to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So with that said, I said all that to say this. The Bible doesn't make it clear to us. And so I have a problem saying, trying to say it clearly to you because it's just not conclusive. 
So can we be okay with saying, if it's not clear in scripture, we're not gonna be dogmatic about it here? Is that okay? I need a little affirmation, I'm feeling needy, okay? All right, that's where we're gonna leave it then. Um, so if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you. I did a ton of reading about this in the last week just to try to figure this out a little better, be, be more equipped to share it with you, and that's where we've landed at. So let me move on to verse 21. So we were talking about the floodwaters of, of Noah, and it says in verse 21, and that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the floodwaters of Noah, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the waters covered people and they were killed. They, they died. And this is representative of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When we are baptized in water, we are covered with the water. We go under the water. And this represents burial and death in Christ Jesus. We talked a few weeks ago when we talked about Jonah that going down was representative of death. And we go down into the water. This represents dying. And when we come out of the water, it represents life, resurrection with Christ Jesus. Now, in this scenario... The flood is death. It represents death for us. We go under the water and Jesus is the ark. He is our savior. He is our salvation in that moment. And this is what Peter is helping them understand. And he goes on to say in verse 22, now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. It says, Christ is gone to heaven. He is in heaven. He's seated at the place of honor at the right hand of God. And then it says, all angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. All angels and authorities and power accept his authority. All angels and authority and power are submitted to Christ as the ultimate authority. We keep coming back to this, how do we navigate? How do we live resiliently in persecution? It's by submitting to the authority of Christ and saying, I, I can't do this. I can't love my enemy like I love myself, God. I need you to do it. I can't um, repay evil with good in myself. I can't do it. So God, I need you to do it. God, I can't love my wife the way I need to. I need you to do it through me. God, I can't love my husband the way I need to and respect him the way I need to. I need you to do it through me. It's about us saying, God, I wanna know you. And as I know you, I'm gonna be conformed to your image. I'm gonna start to look like you and think like you and love like you. So God, I just wanna know you. And, he, and here's the thing. So I'm guilty of this. I have preached from time to time and said things like, hey, if you're looking for peace, find Jesus. Because if you find Jesus, you're gonna find peace. And the way I've portrayed it, not intentionally, is that Jesus is a means to an end. That if you just get saved, then you're gonna find peace. Oh, your marriage is a mess? Well, find Jesus. Jesus is the means by which you will find a healthy marriage. Oh, you're broken? You're addicted? Jesus is the road to this. And, and that might be how it starts for some of us. But my prayer is, as you mature, you'll discover that Jesus isn't the means to an end. Jesus is the end. That, yes, I want a healthy marriage, but Jesus isn't gonna give me a healthy marriage. When I find Jesus... I'll end up having a healthy marriage. But the goal is not a healthy marriage. The goal is Jesus. That Jesus is what we need. We think we need healing in our broken heart. No, 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 what you need is Jesus. And you will find healing in your broken heart when you find Jesus. Does that make sense? So what I want us to do is just shift our perspective. <laughs> Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, if my marriage is never healed, if my addiction is never broken, if I never get out of this place financially, if I never achieve my hopes and dreams, you're enough. You are the prize. When we live that way, we can 
stand up against any kind of persecution in our life. There's nothing that we can't stand against if Jesus is enough for us. Hey, right now, I'm gonna turn it over to uh, Katie there in Blairsville. She's gonna close out our time together today. She's gonna give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today, I'm sure the Holy Spirit has spoken something to you today, and it's not because of me. I mean, he, he works in my heart. Did you know while I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit's... And I don't know if maybe God spoke to you about your marriage, your relationships, how you honor or respect or love your spouse. Maybe he spoke to you today about just worshiping him, pursuing him, not just for what he can give us, but for who he is. I don't know. But what I want you to do today is take a step toward Christ, whatever that means for you. I don't have to spell it out. I don't have to map it out for you. The Holy Spirit is showing you right now. The Holy Spirit's probably working in some of your hearts right now. For some of you though, it begins with this acknowledgement that if all powers and all authority submit to the authority of Christ, I should too. And if you've never done that, I wanna give you a chance to do that today. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all this place. God, we invite you to move in this place. We invite you to speak. God, for those that have been on the run from you, for those that have been um, on the run, Lord, I pray that you would capture their souls today, capture their hearts. Help them to see how unbelievably good it is to be your son or daughter, just to know you. It's not about what you can give us or what you can do for us, that you are not a means to an end, but God, you are, you're good. God, show us that today. God, I pray for those that are maybe struggling in their marriage, let today be the day that um, submission will rise and conflict will fall. I pray that you would help us seek peace and work to maintain it. God, I pray that truly we as believers would be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. God, I pray more than anything else, we would be led by your spirit, that we would not be afraid of what the world's afraid of, but God, we would be led by your spirit and your anointing, and we would go where you want us to go and do what you want us to do and say what you want us to say with no fear of this world. So God, I pray as we live that way, we will be a light in the darkness. We'll bring hope to those that are hopeless. But God, start in this house right now. So God, I pray for those that don't know you, let today be the day they surrender it all. Let today be the day they say yes to you. With no fear or condemnation, have your way with us. Now, nobody's looking around. Today, if you'd say to me, I'm not really walking with God. I don't really know God, but I want to. I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. Not just for what he can give me, but I want to know him. I'd love to pray for you. If you want to be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? If you say, Mel, that's me. I want to know Jesus today. I want to be in a relationship with him. Yeah, thank you. I see you up on my left in the balcony and the center in the balcony on my far left over here. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. A couple hands up here. I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Yeah, thanks on my right. I see you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? You'd say, Mel, include me in that. God's working on my heart. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. I see you up in the balcony. You can put your hand down. Awesome. Awesome. Lord, I pray that what happens here Lord, let it not just be an emotional response. God, let our hearts be changed and transformed before you. God, as we pray 
together in just a moment. I pray that these prayers would be sealed in our hearts, that our lives would be forever changed from this moment forward because of what you're doing and what you've done. Thank you for Jesus. So God, have your way with us. Now, Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And this is not just about we escape hell and we get to go to heaven. This is about an invitation to relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. I'm gonna give you the words, but it's your prayer. You are praying this prayer from your heart to God. So pray this prayer with me. We're all gonna say it together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. But from now on, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. <laughs> Scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So we wanna help you take that next step in your faith journey. Uh, when we finish here in just a minute, uh, one of our staff is gonna be over at the Info Center and they would love to meet with you. If you prayed that prayer with us today, stop by there. You can take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and then stop by the Info Center. Um, but either way, whether you feel that or not, stop by there and talk to our team. Let them help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you prefer, you can either text, um, if you're watching online or here in the room, you can text Summit PA to 94000 to let us know about your decision and then select the prompt that says salvation today. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and help you take the next step. Um, so please stop by there though and let us connect with you and help us help you grow in your faith. Some of our team is gonna be available here at the front of this room, we'd love to pray for you. If you've got a need of any kind, there's nothing too big or too small that God can't handle. And we'd love to pray with you about whatever your need is. So please, as we're singing this final song, make your way forward, find one of our team members, let us pray with you. Even as we're dismissed in just a moment, if you wanna stick around, meditate on what God is speaking to you, sit in the room, pray. If you wanna find one of our team, we'd love to pray for you. So please find one of them. And, and I wanna encourage you, unless you've got an emergency, sit tight for just a couple of minutes and let's just see what God will do as we just... Um, listen to his voice and worship him together. So stay on your feet. Let's worship one more time before we go. You hear it all the time. I mean it though. I love you guys more than I can possibly tell you. And I am so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see it. She is one night guys. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.